Welcome to episode seven of Unknown Friends. I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wayne Productions, and this is my book review podcast. If you enjoy listening to Unknown Friends on Apple Podcasts, you can rate this show from one to five stars, and you can even write a review letting others know why you like the podcast. And a big thank you to those of you who have already left some lovely reviews. Today's episode is about the last completed novel of one of my favorite authors, Jane Austen. And this is a special episode because you won't have to listen to my voice the whole time. I've got my amazing sister, Lorray, on a Zoom call here as my guest. Hi, Lorray. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. How are you? Great. Yeah, thanks. What have you been keeping busy with lately? Um, besides work, I have been knitting and cross-stitching. Great. And gardening indoors, quilting slash sewing masks. I baked crockpot bread for the first time yesterday. Oh, wow. What is that? Bread in the <laughs> crockpot? No, I mean, like, what... Was it just plain bread? Which is fine. It's just very simple bread because we ran out of bread for sandwiches. And oh. I'd been wanting to try this. And you mix it up. It's very, very simple ingredients. And then you let it sit for about 12 hours. And then you stick it in the crock pot for about two hours on high. And then you have bread. Cool. Mm-hmm. Sounds inventive. <laughs> it's very tasty. And very easy. Well, that's that's great. And I have been baking a little bit as well. I've become a big fan of this recipe for pumpkin muffins that I found. And I accidentally called them a name, which dad then decided to officially call them by. They're called mumpkins because they're pumpkin muffins. And they're, they're mumpkins. They're mumpkins. Anyway, we should probably direct our attention to the topic at hand. Uh, today's book, Persuasion by Jane Austen, which I know you and I both dearly love. But uh, before we dive into deep discussion, I would like to just give some quick details about Jane Austen herself for a bit of context. She is, of course, an early 19th century English novelist, although she actually spent more of her life in the 18th century than the 19th. She was born in 1775 and only lived to the age of 41. She died in mid-1817. As I understand it, no one knows for sure what was the cause of death. She was, she was ill, but we're not certain what the disease was. But in her relatively short life, she wrote six full-length novels, which were published anonymously, as well as some shorter and unfinished works. So, Lorraine, before we get specifically into her novel Persuasion, why do you think Jane Austen is worth reading in general? Um, her novels are sometimes charged with being... Uh, romance novels, just romance novels. Mm. And I think we both agree that that is not an accurate description. So what does she offer 
of value in her books? Good question. I mean, I think to some extent, I would argue that the central romantic plot line of each of her novels is probably more maybe incidental than we often would assume. What I mean by that is in Austin society, looking for a husband was a genteel young woman's main chance, um, not only to exert some amount of choice and preference over the course of her own life, um, but also to just get out into society, uh, to interact with and analyze the characters and the personalities of people she had not known her whole life. Um, and that gives an opportunity to try out skills in character discernment and decision-making and to examine her own character and assumptions about life in light of interactions with all these new acquaintances. So for those reasons, I think Jane Austen uses the romantic plot line of each of her novels, not so much for the sake of indulging in the emotions and the excitement of romance per se, um, or for its own sake, but really because of the, shall we say, the confluence of questions about character and decision-making and responsibility that that particular moment in life provides. Yeah, that's that's excellent. I totally agree. Um, and I think you explained it so well. Relationships are some of the most revealing areas of life, whether we're talking marriage or friendship or family relationships. It's in those interactions that character is often tested. So while, sure, the central plot line of Austen's novels always culminates in a marriage, yet in each book, a lot of the story is not directly concerned with the romantic relationship. Much time is spent showing the heroes and heroines in their own homes with their siblings and parents and friends because Jane Austen is interested in character far more than romance. So you shared with me just the other day um, an article by our friend Shirsten Hall about Jane Austen as a comic writer more than a romantic one. And she is keenly aware of the faults and follies of human nature. And she enjoys poking fun at those things. So what were your thoughts on that article and the idea that comedy might actually be uh, the prevailing tone of her novels? Yeah, I thought that was just a fascinating claim. Um, and on further reflection, I do think the comedy of Jane Austen's novels is often quite uh, underappreciated. Mm. Personally, I would be hesitant to pick out just one genre or tone that I would say, you know, defines all of her works. And I certainly think of all Austen's novels, Persuasion is probably the least comic in its overall tone. But I do think Shearson made some really excellent points about how integral comedy is to Austen's approach to character in general. Um, and I loved what she said about the point or the purpose 
in Austen's comedy. So often today, comedy's main point seems to be to make us feel better about ourselves, Mm. comfortable with our messy lives and kind of soothed away from any worries of self-improvement or even self-analysis. But what Schuston points out is that for Austen, comedy is always for the purpose of moral education and improvement. Um, Austen is much less heavy-handed with her moralizing than some of her contemporaries. Looking at you, George Eliot. Yes. But (laughs) her comic tone just gives her this gentle, winsome way of pointing out human folly in such a way that we see it for its foolishness and are then somehow pointed back to see it in ourselves and find that now we really want to try and work on it. And so it's got this kind of pedagogical purpose, I guess. Yes, I so agree. I love the way she teaches us through her comedy. By the way, I will link to that article of Shearston's in this episode's description and also in the Unknown Friends Pinterest board so that anyone can read it if you're interested. It's very good. So let's zero in on persuasion now. Uh, A bit of context first. This was Jane Austen's final completed novel, and it wasn't actually published until after her death. She she passed away in mid-1817, and her brother published Persuasion, along with her novel Northanger Abbey, together in, uh, in December 1817. This publication was the first to acknowledge Jane Austen as the author, interestingly. Its, its original title page just says, by the author of Pride and Prejudice, Mansfield Park, etc. But there's a preface by her brother that identifies her as the writer. So what about the, the characters and the plot of Persuasion? The heroine in this novel is by far Jane Austen's oldest heroine. Anne Elliot is 27 years old, and there's a story behind the story in this book. So years before the novel begins, when Anne was just 19, she was engaged to be married to a young naval officer, Frederick Wentworth, but her family did not approve of Wentworth. They didn't think he was good enough for their family, and Anne was persuaded to break off the engagement. So now at 27, she's still unmarried, and she's surrounded by family members who are selfish and arrogant, and they don't show any appreciation for Anne's quiet steadiness, and her willingness to sacrifice for others. Anne's youngest sister is married and has two children. Her older sister is still unmarried, but she's getting a little impatient to snag a rich husband, ASAP. Anne's mother passed away several years ago, and her father, Sir Walter, is snobbish, self-absorbed, and unfortunately getting into financial difficulties, which he doesn't want to own up to. So as the book opens, Sir Walter and his oldest daughter are forced to move to the city of Bath and rent out their country estate, Kellynch Hall, 
and Anne stays near Kellynch for a while with her younger sister and her in-laws. But the new tenants of Kellynch are an Admiral Croft and his wife, who, uh, due to the end of a war, have just returned to England. And Mrs. Croft has a brother also in the Navy who comes and stays with them at Kellynch Hall for quite some time. And that brother is the now captain, Frederick Wentworth, to whom Anne was engaged years earlier. So the two of them are thrown back together. They've both changed in some ways and not changed in others. And they both still have more to learn about themselves and each other. And I won't give any more details as to how things play out, but that that is the overall setup. So, Lorray, so the title, Persuasion. Uh, we know from other Austen novels that she sometimes puts uh, key themes right in the title, um, like Pride and Prejudice or uh, Sense and Sensibility. Now, Persuasion, as I understand it, is a little different because it was published after her death and her brother actually titled it Persuasion. Um, I believe her working title was just The Elliots. Um, but who knows, maybe at some point she mentioned to her brother that Persuasion would be a good title or that was the central theme or something. Um, so how would you describe the role of persuasion specifically in the story. Is it a key theme? And uh, what does she mean by this? Yes. I think the title is extremely apt um, because the question of how persuadable one ought to be, so how firm we should be in our own opinions, how much we should be influenced by the opinions of others, that's really the heartbeat of the story, in my opinion. As we learn in the first few chapters, Anne broke off her relationship with Captain Wentworth on the advice of a trusted mentor. And Captain Wentworth has never forgiven her for this. He makes <laughs> a number of very cutting remarks early on as to what weak character this showed on Anne's part. And he seems to think that knowing one's own mind and carrying it out without reference to anyone else is really the best indication of a strong, admirable character. I should probably stop there. I won't spoil how Austin <laughs> develops the theme further. Mm -hmm. But as someone who is more naturally bent towards acquiescing to other people's opinions, I certainly continue to find that question very relatable and thought-provoking. Mm. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me that this theme has especially resonated with you. For me, it's actually one of Jane Austen's themes that's been the hardest for me to to wrap my head around and really relate to. I think I tend to resonate more deeply with uh, Sense and Sensibility and maybe Mansfield Park. Um, so I don't know if that's just a a personality difference between us or, or what exactly, but that's helpful to hear you articulate how you understand this theme of persuasion. So thank you for that. Sure. So what other themes or questions do you see Jane Austen exploring in this novel? Hmm. Well, I think two in particular, I especially appreciate. So first of all, as I mentioned briefly before, 
Persuasion is a slightly heavier novel than most of Austen's others. There's less hilarity. There's definitely more sorrow. Um, but I think in that, there comes this beautiful theme of patience and that old-fashioned word, long-suffering, which I think really captures it. And that patience in persuasion is not just in terms of waiting for a romantic relationship to work out, though that's definitely there, but it's also crucially seen in Anne's relationship with her family. Mm. Anne has a strong sense of loyalty to her family, even when they've caused her so much pain and continue to do so. But I really love how Austin takes us on this deep, thoughtful exploration of how we can reconcile our duties to all the different people we love. And I think Anne Elliot is a really lovely example of how that can be done well. I think the other big theme that really sticks out to me is the question of communication between the sexes. So throughout much of the novel, the tension primarily comes from failures in communication. Wentworth can't understand or won't listen to Anne. He chooses to hear things from others that aren't really the case. Sir Walter is completely unable to hear sense at all, mm. and the list really goes on and on. When I was at Hillsdale, I had a wonderful class on Austen and the Bronte sisters. Ah, yes. And the professor there pointed out that the image of the pen is extremely poignant in persuasion. So to give an example, the opening scene of the novel is Sir Walter sitting in his study editing the baronetage, which is the official published record of all the English nobility and their families. And so there he is sitting there um, and he's inserting some additions in pen about the marriage of his youngest daughter and the death of his wife, I think. So in that image, right from the start of the novel, we have the man holding the pen, delineating the lives of his wife and daughters. Fast forward to the penultimate chapter of the novel and Captain Wentworth is writing some letters, and he overhears Anne finally expressing openly her true feelings about him to a third party. And I'm not going to tell you what happens, but you should go look it up if you don't know already. Watch what happens to the pen. I don't want to give major spoilers, but <laughs> the pen gets its redemption in the end. And as a tool for open, honest communication, it becomes a symbol, I think, of responsive vulnerability as opposed to the closed circumscribing and overwriting of other human beings that Sir Walter embodies. So I just love that that contrast between the very opening and the very end of the novel and yes. where the pen shows up there. Oh, that's awesome. I, I love that symbolism so much. Me too. <laughs> so one more question we have sort of downplayed the romance element in jane austen's novels because i think it does get overblown in a lot of film versions and things um and to add to that jane austen herself was never married um and you never actually get to see her heroes and heroines as married couples for more than maybe a few paragraphs at the end of each novel. And with the other couples she does include as side characters in the books, fairly often she's satirizing husbands and wives and exposing the little misunderstandings and quarrels that 
can so easily develop in a marriage. Mm -hmm. But that said, I don't think you can possibly read her novels and not come away thinking that there can be a lot of good and beauty in marriage. Mm -hmm. So how does she present marriage positively? Are there are there models she gives or uh, character qualities she presents that can make marriage successful? I think definitely in this novel, we do see that. Um, so two of the side characters that do have fairly prominent roles are Admiral and Mrs. Croft. Uh, and the Admiral and his wife are probably the most admirable couple you will find in any Austen story. I love them dearly. I think part of what makes them so special is that they're a little at a distance from mainstream society. So Mrs. Croft always makes it a point to travel with her husband whenever she can, which would have been extremely unusual for her time. Mm. But what that means is that the Crofts have actually spent most of their married life together and quite a ways away from most other people out on the high seas. So when we meet them in the novel, we can see that they care infinitely more about each other's opinions and needs and desires and feelings than they do about what anyone else thinks. And as a result, I think they aren't trapped by so many of the blind spots that Austin is very quick to point out in the majority of genteel English society. Interesting. Yes, I, I love the Crofts as well. And that brings up an interesting point because I learned when I was doing a little background research that Mrs. Croft may well have been more or less modeled off of Jane Austen's sister-in-law, um, Fanny. No uh, Jane Austen's brother, Charles, was a naval man and Fanny traveled with him. She lived on board Navy ships for a while. And I think she'd crossed the Atlantic five times. And it's reported that Jane Austen was impressed by her unfussiness and gallant good sense and, uh, and her wish to be with her husband. So that's very cool. Yeah, that's amazing. So I think our time is about up for this episode. To wrap up, obviously, both Lorraine and I think highly of this book. We recommend it. If you've read other Jane Austen novels, but not this one, you definitely need to read Persuasion 2. Or if you've never read Jane Austen, maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you have had the impression that her novels are just kind of fluffy. Or maybe you're a guy and don't think she has anything to say to you. Um, I personally know men who love Jane Austen's works, so please give her a chance, at least. She has so much insight into how human beings work, both men and women, and she captures certain realities in a way no one else quite does. So you are missing something if you've never read her books. Lorraine, it's been delightful having you as my guest again today and hearing you share about some of Persuasion's key themes. Thank you so much for having me again. This is one of my favorite novels of all time, and it's been such fun thinking about how wonderful it is together. Yes, and thank you for taking the time to be here and discuss with me. You're most welcome. 
I hope you all have enjoyed this episode and maybe even feel inspired to find Persuasion or one of Jane Austen's other novels and read it or reread it if you're already a fan. Next week, I'll be back for episode eight with another classic novel, but one published almost a century after Persuasion. I will be taking a look at E.M. Forster's 1908 novel, A Room with a View, a book which surprised me in various ways. In the meantime, send me an email at kittywam at gmail.com or message me through Facebook or Instagram if you have thoughts about persuasion you'd like to share or questions about the novel. Thanks for listening today and tune in again next Wednesday for episode eight.